Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome to Beyond Farpoint, a podcast in which we chat about everything Star Trek The Next Generation. We're your hosts, Baz Green and Jeff Owen. Hi Jeff, welcome back. Thank you, good to be here again. Absolutely. So this is our second full podcast for Beyond Farpoint. Uh, last time, uh, listeners, you're probably aware, we, we talked about the pilot episode, Encounter at Farpoint, and a bit about Star Trek The Next Generation in general. Obviously, Encounter at Farpoint is where you first meet Q, played by John Delancey, and, and Q's such an essential character in The Next Generation, isn't he? So this, the idea of this podcast is we're going to delve a bit more deeper into Q's appearances in The Next Gen and the wider franchise. Yeah, absolutely. Considering that um, Q was created really as, a, as, well, afterthought is the wrong word, but you know what I mean when it comes to Encounter at Farpoint. He was written to sort of make up the the two-hour pilot. He became such an important part of Star Trek The Next Generation. And obviously now we know going forward, he's going to appear again. In Picard, yeah, that's, that's really exciting. Um, are you looking forward to seeing Q back? <laughs> of course. <laughs> He's one of the best characters in it. And we should say that we are recording this just, what is it, about a week after Not the long, announcement. Is it, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. a week later, yeah. So, yeah, we've uh, we've only just recently found out that um, John Delancey is returning to the much-loved role of Q in the second season of Picard. He's obviously already appeared in an episode of Lower Decks, but now we get to see him again as, well, the irrepressible Q. An older, Q. wiser Q? I don't know. Well, <laughs> what do you think is going to be Q's going to be like in Picard? Because Picard itself is a little bit of a different show to Next Gen, isn't it? It's a bit more, I don't want to say more mature, but it's certainly a bit... It's it's much more modern in terms of what yeah. TV is serialized, definitely. Um, yeah. I I think of this really with Star Trek Picard. I think of it as the same sort of thing as what the original series movies did, because obviously you had three years worth of the original series, and then you had the six and a bit movies that caught up with the characters like 20, 30 years later. And I think mm. this is really what we're doing with the whole Berman era, not just Next Generation, but, you know, we may see DS9 and uh, more Voyager characters show up. So, yeah, I, I think of this as sort of like the movie era for Next Generation. Well, maybe that maybe if the 10-hour uh, movie that was season one is a motion picture, maybe we're going to get our Vafakar now, who knows? <laughs> the rough <Russell laughs> <here. laughs> With, with Q as the uh, antagonist, that it'd be it'd be really interesting to see kind of what Q does and kind of how he acts and whether he is there as a villain or a kind of the trickster kind of character that he played more in the middle episodes of Next Gen. Well, the trailer we've heard, you've got the brief glimpse of Q with the the trial never ended, but. You know, by the end of Next Generation and by the end of Voyager, there was a lot more, I won't say trust, but there was a lot more of a closer relationship between 
certainly Janeway and Q, because obviously of what happened with Q's son. And I think by the end of Next Generation, yeah, you still had Picard shouting at Q, but I think <laughs> they respected each other a lot more by the end of it. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see kind of if there is a trial. I mean, you know, jumping ahead a little bit with all good things. I think one of the really interesting things about that finale was as well as going back into the past and into the future and having the trial of humanity continuing, it was also Q was there to help Picard. He's the one that essentially made sure Picard traveled through time. And I guess as a whole, mm. you know, did by doing that, did Q meddling in Picard time traveling result in this nebula that basically wipes out all life, which is the, uh, the threat in the final episode, or is he actually helping Picard? And I guess it's never quite made clear, but you get you get a sense that actually Q was in Picard's corner. And even though humanity was under threat and about to be destroyed, Q secretly wanted Picard to win. Yeah, I, I think Q was very much behind that. And um, Q obviously gave Picard information about the the mental illness that he would succumb to later on in life as well, which obviously was addressed in Picard. However well you feel it was addressed in Picard is a, is a whole <laughs> conversation in itself. But but yeah, he's, he's, he obviously gave him the, the tools and the equipment to deal with it. Now, 20 odd years later, he's finally coming to terms, or he finally came to terms with his own uh, mortality. Mm. Exactly, and now Picard is kind of somewhere between mortal and immortal in a way. They say he will age, still age, but he's not technically human either. So that'll be that'll be obviously a really interesting idea to explore in Picard season two. And I think having Q thrown into the mix is going to be really interesting too. Yeah. I think the other thing, before, obviously, before we go into the, the next generation era, the other thing to say about that is the one thing I think one of the things that fans sometimes struggle with Picard, and I really like Picard season one. I thought it was some I mean. really great stuff in it. But it, it didn't necessarily all feel as cohesive, and I think this time round, I think the one of the benefits of being delayed because of the COVID pandemic is that they've been able to plan out the season from start to end. So hopefully, it's a little bit more cohesive this time round. Hopefully, the storyline, things that happen in the first episode or second episode, will pay off maybe a little bit better in the finale, maybe than season season one did. Though, though I say that, I don't think season one necessarily struggled that much in that sense one thing i've heard about it was i i thought that they'd extended the first two episodes because i think the original thing was is that the first three episodes that we ended up getting were meant to be two episodes oh. and as a result somewhere along the line something else got chopped so they still fit that 10 episode run and i think that's how it sort of rushed to the end a little bit by the mm. end so but yeah, yeah I, I I still enjoyed it. But um, yeah, as I said, Star Trek Picard season one is a whole other conversation. And uh, definitely, yeah, yeah. But yes, yeah, absolutely looking forward to be Q's return in uh, season two. Hundred <laughs> percent, definitely. So let's jump back then to kind of where it all began. I know we t we're not going to probably talk too much about Encounter at Far Point because we did cover the pilot in in a fair amount of depth last mm -hmm. month. But obviously, Q is very much a part of that. Uh, beginning of the next generation and really of Star Trek continuing after the Kirk era. So going back and kind of at the same time wrapping up our thoughts on the pilot, what were your thoughts about Q and his introduction in that first episode? He was definitely a character that you wanted to see again. I think very much that after the first episode, he'd already gained a love him or hate him personality. I know my dad like what likes watching Star Trek, but any time Q appeared, he was going, oh God... 
He, he very he hated anything, any episode which had Q in it. But me personally, I couldn't wait for more episodes. And then when he did end up coming back, I thought, yes, this is what we want. This is a a, a regular foil for Picard and the Enterprise crew. Something that they didn't have with the original series. There are a couple of times when Q kind of jokes that the trial isn't ended. And obviously we see that yeah. in the uh, season seven finale. But yeah, there's certainly a sense that Q is kind of testing them. Even though he becomes a bit more playful and a bit more of that kind of trickster character, I think he is very much still kind of testing and playing, playing with humanity, I guess, through mm. Picard and the Enterprise. What's your favourite Q episode? I was going to ask you this one. Um, <laughs> my f- my favourite one is it's got to be Tapestry. I loved it, it because it doesn't start off that you feel it's going to be a Q episode. It's very uh, you know it's very serious. You've got action, Picard being taken to sick bay. His heart has been critically wounded. Obviously, his heart artificial heart, and then suddenly white screen. And before you knew it, know it, Q's stepping out of the shadows and he's claiming to be God. And you knew at that point, yep, here we go, this is a Q episode. And has some of the best lines as well from Q. Is this? Is there a John Luck Pickard here? Yeah, it's a, re- it's a great episode. It's, it's one of my favourites. I find I find it really hard to kind of... I've watched all the Q episodes again recently in preparation for this podcast. And bar a couple that I'm not so fond of, which we'll get into, they're generally great. Even the weak ones, even I encounter at Farpoint, it's elevated by Q and John Delance's performance. Yes. So I think, you know, every every episode of Q, where it's, where it's in Next Gen or even DS9 and Voyager, it's fun when Q's around. I think I think that's mm. definitely the case. I kind of thought this is a question we should we should discuss as Q fans, and it's it's a hard one really. I think I've got I've got three, and I can never decide between them. First one is Q Who with the introduction of the Borg. It's such yeah, a yeah. big episode. It's such a great episode, and it's but not just because of the introduction of the Borg, but because of Q's role in that and kind of testing the waters of humanity again and saying you're not ready for the dangers out there. And of course, the whole Q and Guinan dynamic, which then plays in that and the next episode he's in. Um, so yeah. I, I love Q for that reason. Um, Tapestry again, it's great. The idea of Q as gods taking picard back in a kind of christmas carol-esque storyline to revisit um picard and his youth is a really really interesting fun one and of course all good things and i think all good of my of my of those episodes all good things is my favorite so maybe all good things is my favorite episode it doesn't actually have q for half the episode he doesn't appear until the end of the first half but it's such a brilliant ending to the show a lovely full circle moment and Q's role in that is just superb so maybe all good things but Tapestry and Q Who are kind of very close to my heart too yeah Q Who I um I, I it's obviously a Q episode but I I always think of it more as a Borg episode yeah. for obvious reasons so yeah I mean Q obviously shows up at the beginning and then pretty much vanishes for the majority mm. of the episode until right at the end. So I, I never really think of that as a Q episode. Yeah. But um, yeah, uh, I, it, don't get me wrong, it is one of the best episodes he's in. But I never think of it as a Q episode. Yeah. What about um, your weakest Q episodes? I'm torn. It's probably hiding Q from season one, which is the second episode to feature Q. It's, it's, it suffers like a lot of season one. When it feels very dated yeah. and 
very much close to the 60s series than maybe the next gen we got from, say, season three onwards or even season two onwards. It is a weak one. Probably that episode, but I also actually don't particularly like Cupid either. Cupid is... It's got Worf's, I protest I'm not a merry man, which is one of the greatest lines ever spoken in Star Trek ever. But it, it's actually, when you look down, it's really tired and weak and doesn't make a lot of sense. But it's elevated by Q. But if Q wasn't in it, I think some of it would be pretty dire. At the same time, it's an episode that only works because Q's there. So it's a, it's a hard one. So I would say Hyden Q and Cupid are probably two of the weakest but actually also his ds91 which is a sequel to cupid isn't particularly strong i don't think q works that well in ds9 he only was in one one episode and even with voyager i think i love the first episode in voyager the first one De- death wish isn't it when um death wish, yeah. he, he appears in the delta quadrant the second episode with the q civil war is just in my opinion, it's pretty dire. It's, it's really poorly done and doesn't make a lot of sense. And the third episode obviously has his son in it. I don't, I'm not particularly fond really of the idea of, Je- of making Janeway the godmother character because she's a, she's a female captain. But um, there's some fun bits to be had. But I think the Q and the Grey, which is the Civil War episode, the DS9 one, are both pretty weak. And then with Next Gen, it's um, Hiding Q and Cupid. So probably quite a long answer there. There's there's is it mixed over there, but um well, what, what about what about you? <laughs> well, I've gotta be honest, I actually do really like Cupid. It, it is one of my favourite Q episodes. But I totally get what you're saying. It it's it does have some of my uh, my favourite moments, not just the I must protest, I'm not a merry man. It's got the Princess Bride reference to it. Mm. I'm the best swordsman in all of Nottingham. Uh something you should know, I'm not from Nottingham. There's also Wolf smashing Geordie's um, mandolin as well, yes. which is <laughs> hilarious. Really, yeah, exactly. But as for my least favourite, I'll go w- with you on Qless. Apart from when Cisco punches him in the face, it doesn't really have much in the way of standout Q moments. I contest, by the way, that the reason you never saw Q again is because Cisco punched him in the face. Q in the Grey is a weak one for me. Like you, I rewatched all of the Q episodes this week, other than All Good Things, which I know back to front, so I didn't watch that one myself this week. And I was going to come on here and say I dis- I don't really like True Q, but I watched that this week, and I enjoyed that so much more this week than I originally did. So I, I can't say that one anymore. Yeah, True Q actually is better than I realised too. Um, I think maybe because, because it wasn't in season five, and they made up for it in season six by having two episodes, and one of those is Tapestry, which yeah. is a brilliant episode. So you kind of forget about True Q. I think as well, True Q is kind of a redo of Hide and Q from season one. Mm. and But I think much, much better than Hide and Q. Yeah. yeah, that's fair enough. I, I did quite enjoy Hide and Q. So, shall we go through them one by one then? Because yeah. I've made a list of the Q episodes, not just in Next Generation, but obviously across all of the franchises. Absolutely. And comment on on them as we go along. So, let, let's start off with that one then, Hide and Q. Yeah. So, Hide and Q features Riker being given Q powers because Q is impressed by him. There's a scene in the 
pilot episode where Q seems impressed by Riker's abilities over Picard um, towards the end. And maybe that's the kind of the trigger for this episode. So Q comes back in season one. He's still got that weird net thing around that never appears after this episode. And he gives Riker Q powers. And it's kind of that kind of deal with the devil. Does 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 power change you storyline? I mean, the story itself is, is quite interesting. I think I say done better in true Q. I think the whole idea of Riker and the crew being transported to this planet and then Riker being tested kind of just goes off in this really random, cheap scenario with these weird alien Napoleonic soldiers. And it all feels very cheap and just a little bit odd and, and trite. And I think the majority of the episode does, does, doesn't do anything interesting with the, with the concept. It's Riker just seems very kind of bland at this point which is saying because Jonathan Franks means a lot to the performance I think it's maybe it's still early days it's only um, early season one and um, Riker's attempts to deal with his newfound powers doesn't offer the drama that I guess the episode should do yeah I know what you mean do you know what it reminded me of where no man has gone before and Gary Mitchell getting yeah. the powers from yeah. the original pilot. But obviously Riker just suddenly finds out that he's got the ability and then suddenly he's calling Picard by his first name. He's demanding meetings with the bridge crew. And you think, okay, that's the same sort of thing really as what Mitchell mm. went through in, in the original pilot. But um, yeah, that's that's what it reminded me a lot of. But what i thought was what i thought was a bit strange was at the end where he loses the powers and suddenly he's 100% trusted he's back sat by picard's side again and all right i know that's something really that we've um we've got used to with serialized television um particularly with things like ash tyler recently and you think he's just done all this with the powers that he's had and now you're happy for him to sit alongside the captain and be the first officer again. He's not being put to one side for any period of time. Yeah, there's no real consequences there. Just okay, move on next episode. And uh, yeah, and we talked a bit about it in the last and in the pilot discussion, didn't we? That I guess sometimes next gen suffered from being episodic in nature. There wasn't that much mm. in terms of consequence. Maybe outside, maybe the Borg on the queue. So it, yeah, it would have maybe been interesting to see the kind of the reactions to the crew and um, how he's treated them. Because I guess the trouble with hiding Q is it goes down the more obvious route. As soon as he gets powers, he tries to do something good. Then he, then the kind of power yeah. consumes him, like Gary Mitchell. He, he goes from having good intentions to this arrogant, overbearing, overconfident character who is just a horrible person to be around. And the idea of powers, you know, they might... They shouldn't enhance your personality to the point where you go from a generally good guy to this kind of horrible person who is, you know, arrogant and condescending and really, really, yeah, really does talk down to the rest of the crew and is not a particularly nice person. So yeah. it, it, it is weird. I, I, the, tr the trouble I think I have is that Riker doesn't really know the crew much at this stage. I think that's really clear in that scene where he tries to give them the gifts like making Wesley his male jock, which is just really cliche and, and gives Worf the bizarre sex craze Klingon female. It's like, is this really what you think of the crew? It doesn't really. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it doesn't make any much sense. And it, and it 
it all feels very cliche and very kind of one note, I think. I think it suffers from the same sort of thing as The Naked Now. Yes. I think it probably would have been better if it was three or four seasons down the road um, when you could say that, yes, we know who all these characters are and Riker would know who all these characters are. But, yeah, uh, you've got that moment where he's... You know, he looks like he's going to get data to be turned into a human, mm. where he gives Geordie eyesight, and as you said, he's he turns Wesley Crusher into this twenty-five-year-old ripped. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and well, we know obviously how Will Wheaton has turned. Yes, out. he's not quite. <laughs> he's turned out nothing like that. That's 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 the amusing thing to me is we now know what Will Wheaton went on to look like, and he looked nothing like that. So, um, but yeah, it's. Uh, it, I I quite liked it. And yeah, you're right. Where did that energy grid go? Why didn't we see that any subsequent episode after that? Cuties pop up out of nowhere. And I think that becomes a recurring theme in Next Gen and things like Voyager as well. Q just turns up. He's on the bridge. So I flash a light and he's there. And it, and that's quite yeah. funny. And I mean, one of the recurring themes over, over the uh, Next Generation is Q just appearing in a flash in the back of the room and Picard going, Q! And it's, it was, was a kind of quite fun cliche in itself. But I think if you have Q announcing his arrival, this big energy grid every single time, it wouldn't really work. I kind of wish they hadn't used it in this episode. You, you got the sense that the first episode was his very grand entrance because he was putting humanity on trial. It wasn't necessary after that yeah. because the scales weren't that big. And I think while it probably worked for the first episode in that respect, I don't think it, it makes sense later on. So again, I think there's the, even though I think season three is where next gen really gets a flow, there is a change between season one and season two. There's a little bit more of a maybe maturity and, and, um, mm. It feels less like a kind of almost a rehash of the 60s series. So they do throw away a lot of elements. And I think this is one of those they decided to get rid of pretty quickly. While you were talking there, I, I had this thought of both times in Encounter at Farpoint and Hiding Q, Q wants to capture the Enterprise. He wants to basically make sure that that ship ain't going nowhere. Mm. Whereas the episodes after that, it's not really about capturing the Enterprise. It's all about you know, speaking to Picard, speaking to the crew. And I'm wondering if that's why maybe the energy grid is, is there just basically to say, right, I'm stopping you in space. I've got your undivided attention. You will do what I want you to do right now. The, the episodes after that didn't really require the uh, the capturing of the ship. Maybe, yeah. So I wonder if that's why. But I, I, I just think maybe it was just a little bit, maybe a little bit naff. So it decided didn't didn't work, and they they decided to, to dump it. It's it's one of one of those things they they just change. I think with, with Q, and I think actually Q's still quite antagonistic in that episode. I think he mellows a little bit, even with Q, who I think is a little bit more playful. So I think uh, that kind of goes with that kind of slight change of character as well. The next one I've got on my list then is season two Q. Who now I messaged you before this <laughs> and said about obviously it's the introduction of the Borg. Now at some point we will be doing an episode about the Borg. Absolutely. So I suggested that we don't really want to focus too much on the Borg in the episode. We just want to look at the rest of the episode and obviously the Q scenes. Mm. But can I just say one thing before we start talking about it? There's a character in this episode. She's in one other episode 
and I really wish we'd seen more of her and that Sonia Gomez. Yeah, she was she was quite a uh, energetic character. I, I quite liked her. They had a lot of recurring. Well, I say recurring. They had a lot of crew members that were maybe outside of Barclay and Roe maybe were like one or two episode characters. And I think she definitely stood out and it would have been interesting to see more of her as the show progressed. Apparently she's going to show up either in Lower Decks or Prodigy. So they've managed to get the actress to come back and actually reprise the role. So that should be interesting to see how um, Sonia Gomez has come along in the last uh, 30 years. Or actually, Lower Decks is more like about 15 years. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit after Nemesis, isn't it? So yeah, it'd be good to see Sonia Gomez back as well. I guess Q-Who, it does feature the Borg, obviously, and it's the terrifying day with the Borg because the idea is that Q sends the Enterprise to the Delta Quadrant to show them actually life in the galaxy is far more dangerous than you realise. It's not just the Klingons and the Romulans and things like the Cardassians and and the Ferengi. It's actually a lot more than that. And uh, uh, I think by this point, they they said, yeah, the Ferengi (laughs) didn't work anyway. I think after season one, they kind of toned them down a bit, didn't they? But yeah, it's, I guess there's a whole debate, you know, is Q-Who the debut of the Borg or did it come somewhere else? Did Q, well, was, oh, that's more specifically, was Q responsible for the Federation making contact with the Borg? Well, there's episodes where they talk about it and say, yes, we you introduced us to the Borg. Mm. I think Janeway even says that to him at one point saying, oh yes, and you introduced us to the Borg. But you know, we've had episodes since then. We've had, uh, uh, sorry, not since the Voyager episode. Episodes between those, we've seen yeah. what happens with Seven of Nine and the Raven. Obviously, her parents must have known about the Borg years before, which then brings into question, well, we know that large parts of this colony uh, was scooped out in the neutral zone, and they've sort of hinted at that being the Borg. But then you've got First Contact going back to First Contact Day, and then part of the Borg cube being found in the... It's, it's one of them in, in the Enterprise, Antarctic, yeah. The Antarctic in the Enterprise episode. Yeah. To quote Doctor Who, it's very timey-wimey. Maybe Q wibbly made the First wibbly. Contact, but maybe actually some people knew beforehand, but maybe because Q sent them there, the Borg then went back in time, and therefore they knew about it beforehand. Who, who knows? <laughs> it, it, it's one... <laughs> Is one yeah. I'm sure we'll debate a lot more, a lot more detail as we go into our uh, future Borg episode. A, f- a friend of mine, um, a guy called Andy, he's got this idea that in in the grand scheme of things, first contact has to happen before you get the Enterprise episode, and then it all sort of links back in yeah. and becomes um, the uh, bootstrap paradox again, another Doctor Who thing. The one thing I really like about this episode, and I would love for it to be elaborated in Picard Season 2, is the relationship between Guyon and Q. You! Picard, if you had half the sense you pretend to have, you would get her off your ship immediately. And if you'd like, I'd be more than pleased to expedite her departure. You know him. We have had some dealings. Those dealings were two centuries ago. This creature is not what she appears to be. She's an imp. And where she goes, trouble always follows. You're speaking of yourself, Q, not Guinan. Guinan? Is that your name now? Q seems generally scared of Guinan. He's terrified of her. You never know why. I mean, they, they do follow up a little bit. They have, I think, one more scene together, which is in the season three episode. But then there's nothing else with Guinan again. And I think the fact that I know Patrick Stewart was invited, Whoopi Goldberg, to come back as Guinan in season two, 
so fairly certain she's going to be back. And you've got Q. I would love to see that follow up in some form in Picard season two. Yes, if Guinan's there and Q is there, let's see exactly why Q is so terrified of Guinan and exactly what are Guinan's powers that would make him so afraid of her. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of potential there. So let, let's move on then to season three then, Deja Q, which I think is, is another really good episode of, um, to feature Q. So in this episode, yes. Q is kicked out of the continuum and made to basically be, he decides to become human and uh, boards the Enterprise as part of the crew. Yeah, it's it's a great episode. Well, it's a, it's a great first moment from flash of light, Q suspended in midair, completely stark naked, <laughs> um, drops on the uh, floor of the bridge, red alert, and yeah, and it takes them the rest of the episode pretty much for them to realise that no, he's not actually messing around. He has lost his powers, and um, yeah, it, it's great seeing him trying to cope with pain where he's going oh uh what's the word ow yes says, oh ow again i think it's like uh, i got pain in my stomach or oh, it sounds like you're hungry so yeah it's uh, another great tour de force for uh john delance absolutely he's so great good in this episode i think it's one of the most fun q episodes and uh yeah there's lots of kind of great scenes around there with trying to convince the crew is mortal you know eating 10 chocolate sundaes is great i i <laughs> love the scene where Guyan stabs q in the hand of a fork and goes seems human to me it's brilliant the way she kind of just proves it is fantastic and it's, i would have loved more of guy and q and of course I, I don't think guy appeared in any other episodes that had q in so uh yeah, that's why we didn't get it but yeah it's great to kind of see them together as well and may maybe a little a little bit obvious that q has to do this selfless act to save the enterprise to become q again but i i think i think it mostly works mm. and there's there's some it almost feels in a way like the dare i say the end of q's journey on the show you've, you've had him as this putting humanity on trial then he's come back and tempted them with powers. Then he's shown the danger of the galaxy. And then he's actually experienced becoming human himself and committing a selfless act. You know, it's like, that's, that's, that's a scope of an entire character journey across four episodes. And as much as I'm glad yeah. Q came back, if that had been the last episode of Q, I think that would have been a really kind of fitting way to kind of finish his time on the show. And I think it's um, obviously part of why Q, I think, has got a bit more respect for the human race going forward. Mm first appearance as well of another Q. Yes. In this episode, played by L.A. Law's Corbin Burnson. <laughs> I remember when it was on and L.A. Law was still a big thing at the time and he appeared and uh, my mum was still around and she went, oh, okay. Uh, I can't remember the character's name in L.A. Law, but she just came straight out with his character name and uh, she pretty much said it was the same sort of character that he played in that as he played in yeah. Star Trek. I think he plays a very similar character as well in Psych. He's the dad okay. in that as I've well. I've never seen that. Yeah, he's good in that. And I think, uh, yeah, Corey Mentor is very good in this episode. I think he's a little bit more, a little bit more serious, but still that kind of mischievous nature that I think you see in a lot of the cues. Mm. Yeah, exactly. They, they've got... Q obviously took it to that extra level, but anytime you saw another Q character, you always think, yeah, they're, they're kind of all the same a bit. But um, Q's the extreme. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like the moment where he's got the um, the, the Calamarain as that ball of gas in his mm. hand going, you think you've had it bad before. And then Corbin Burnson's Q pokes his head through the bulkhead of the shuttlecraft and goes, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> yeah. uh, spoil sports, and dispense, uh, disperses them. Yeah. It's certainly one of the most fun episodes, I think, that, that Q was in. 
which is probably why the next episode, Cupid, then kind of tries to, I think, tries to recreate that magic a bit and be kind of really playful, which is why you get the whole Robin Hood sequence and with Picard trying to save Vash from Q's Sheriff of Nottingham. This is England, or to be more precise, Sherwood Forest, at least Q's recreation of it. That would explain these costumes. Quite right, number one. Or should I say, John Little. Well, if he's Little John, that makes you... I know. Robin Hood. Sir, I protest. I am not a merry man. You like Cupid more than I do, don't you? Yeah, I do like Cupid. I'm, I'm, I quite like the Robin Hood thing, um, to be honest. So I, I've always liked the Cupid episode. Recasting the entire Next Generation bridge crew and putting them in Sherwood Forest and putting them all in the roles of Robin Hood's Merry Men, I thought was inspired, to be honest. It was a lot of fun. It's a shame, Marina Sirtis and Gates McFadden were the only members of the cast that were trained sword fighting, um, but they're the only ones that don't fight with swords, which is a, it's a shame. Yeah. I know I know director Cliff Boyle wanted to be more historically accurate, but I think it's a shame. You get everyone fighting with swords and you get Crusher smashing a vase over someone's head and it's oh, it's... It almost feels a little bit, a uh, little bit sexist. I think on that one, you know, historically accurate yeah. side. I think it would have been kind of fun to sort of see there, see them in action too. It is fun though. It's got that Errol Flynn, Robin Hood vibe to it, and there are some fun moments in it. But I just think maybe for me, it goes on too long. I, I, I think there it's half the episode is set in this weird shared forest kind of world. It's not, it's not the hard deck. It's, it's some kind of. It's not even like a fantasy dream. It actually is a place that Q takes them to. Because it's Q, you can get away with not explaining what it is. But uh, I, I do think it goes on a little bit too long. Though, as I say, Worf, every time Worf gets into the action, that's that's generally quite fun. Yeah, exactly. Any Anything Worf says in that episode is probably one of the best lines in it. Yeah. But the other thing as well, where Q turns up right at the start, mm. and I know you used this in uh, in a GIF on your uh, on the Twitter <laughs> post, and it was about, how about a great big hug, and Picard getting in contact with Riker and saying, uh, I've just been visited by Q, he wants to do something nice for me, I'll alert the crew. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the worst possible red alert type thing that, you, that you've got there. Yeah. And that moment as well, where Picard's doing the speech, and they slowly start changing mm. Crusher and Troy get the hats. Riker suddenly holding the crook. Data suddenly holding a big wadge of beef or whatever yes. it is, big chicken leg. And yeah, it's uh, it, 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 yeah. Sorry, it's one of my favourite. That's episodes. fair enough. And there, but, there are, there are, I won't deny there are some bits that make you laugh, and there are some bits that make you smile. I think it drags it a little bit too long. There are far worse episodes of. The next gen. What I find weird, I guess we can maybe jump to the DS9 one here. I know there was true crew in between. Is why they decided to do a sequel to this episode in DS9. So the idea of this episode is Vash turns up from the season three episode Captain's Holiday when she had this romance with Picard uh, on on Riser, and then Picard's awkward mm. hasn't spoken to any of the crew. I think some of those bits early on are quite fun, particularly with Crusher when um, they realise he he's had this whole secret romance. But in the end, Vash, who's an adventurer herself, decides to go off trolling on the galaxy with Q. And then she's kind of dumped him in DS9 and Q's trying to get her back. But it all happens in DS9. I don't understand why that sequel didn't happen in the next gen. Because both Q and Vash have much more relevance to Picard than they ever would do anyone on, on the DS9 crew. 
even O'Brien, who actually isn't in this episode anyway. So how he recognises Vash, I don't know. Yeah, D- DS9 did a, f- a bit of that in the first season, though, didn't it? Because obviously they had the um, the Dura sisters mm. show up as well. They had a couple of characters appear in Deep Space Nine. It's uh, it's and Deep Space Nine went on to be a fantastic show. Mm. Don't get me wrong, but that first season it did feel like they were going, "Look, it's this person. Yes. You remember them from the Enterprise, don't you? See, we can do this person as well." That's what it felt like a little bit with um, with that episode. And the other thing that I felt a little bit odd about it was, I think pretty much everybody knew watching it that um, that that. That item that Vash brought over from the Gamma Quadrant was obviously what was causing Deep Space Nine to be pulled into the wormhole. And yet there was that whole sort of tenseness and mystery about, oh, I wonder what's pulling Deep Space Nine towards the wormhole. And those scenes where they're in ops going, oh, I've managed to trace it to this part, I've managed to trace it to this part, you're just thinking... Just get on with it. Yeah, it's never it's never good when the audience is so far ahead of of the crew, and you're just waiting for them to catch up. I think that's what happens in this episode. It, it, it's definitely one of, it's actually I think one of DS9's weakest episodes, which is a shame because it has Q. And I think the scene yeah. where Cisco punches Q is fun, but I think there's not much else really going for the episode, which yeah. which is a shame. I think because DS9 did comedy really, really well. Some of the best comedy episodes were in DS9, but not at this stage in the yeah. show's history. That happened later on. And I think DS9 maybe was a very bit bit too serious at this point. So Q's involvement with the crew didn't really, really work. Yeah, and obviously if Q was travelling around the Gamma Quadrant with Vash, why did he suddenly become so obsessed with Amanda Rogers in true Q. Well, yeah, because that happens to be... Um, I, I guess the answer is Q happens out of time, so that's how it works. But yeah, it's almost like because you have yeah. Cupid, where Vash and Q go trying together, then you have true Q, then you have Qless, which is Vash and Q back, back together, all kind of just after split up, and then Tapestry, yeah. True Q in, in Next Gen, because it was essentially there were three episodes in that season, weren't there? There were there was um, season six episode True Q, which happened at the same time as season one of DS9. So then season one of DS9 had Qless, and then you go back to Next Gen season six for Tapestry. And it doesn't actually work chronologically. But maybe the whole point is with Q, he can be in two places at once because he's Q. Well, that kind of explains uh, a little bit later on when, I know we're jumping ahead again, but in Q2 when they go away and Q and Q Jr. go away and do a lot of adventures on their own, come back and only 10 minutes has passed yes. for, uh, for Janeway. So, yeah, yeah I suppose, yeah, yeah it, obviously they don't see things necessarily in the same order. It's sort of the Doctor Who and River Song thing they don't always meet in the same order. I think Qless is an episode that's probably best left forgotten. I think I think actually it's probably one of the weakest Q episodes, um, I think, thinking about it. So, yeah, we'll move on from that one. <laughs> so let, let, let's talk about True Q then. Before we get to the great tapestry, yes. True Q then. So the idea behind this episode is that there's an honor student, Amanda, comes to the Enterprise. She's top of her class. She's basically got almost like an apprenticeship to be on the Enterprise and sort of it's like work experience, isn't it? She's on the on the Enterprise because, because she's top of her class. And she secretly has powers that have been developing over the last year. And Q turns up and tells everyone that she's a Q. She was born on Earth to Q parents who decided to be human 
and now he's going to take her back to the Q continuum. So, what what are your thoughts on True Q then? Yeah, when I when I'd seen it before, I um I wasn't that keen on it, but um I watched it again quite recently during a total Star Trek rewatch that I've been doing. I watched it obviously again this week in preparation for this episode, and I found the whole character of Amanda a lot more believable. Mm. I don't know about you, but there's a very, very violent moment involving Q. And I was watching it thinking, I don't remember this happening, where he just walks into the room, grabs Amanda, and practically drags her out of the room. And I'm thinking, that was a very strange moment, even for Q. It's very, Yeah, it's very aggressive. And I think he's... I think th- this is an episode that kind of goes back slightly more to the antagonistic role. He basically goes, "Your cue. I'm dragging you back to the continue. You're coming me now, and there's no 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 question about it." And yeah. it do, it does create an interesting drama, in the sense you've got people like Crusher, who's advocate for Amanda, and trying to convince her that she can have another life. I guess the trouble with the episode, in a way, a bit like a hiding cue, which is almost feels like a redo of anyway, is that you know where it's going to go. I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah, you know that. As much as Amanda might go, actually, I want to stay with humans, she's going to use her powers, for, probably for good, and then realise, I can't stay. And that's exactly what happens. That's the, that, And that's the, probably the flaw in the episode. You've got Amanda agreeing with Q that she's not going to use her powers, and then suddenly, within space of like two minutes, she's used her powers. It's almost too quick in yeah. a way. You, you, you kind of wish it maybe had been set up earlier, but you've got this planet that is doomed and the Enterprise can't save them. And Amanda steps in with a metaphorical click of her fingers. Everything's fine because she has Q powers. And while it's a nice development of the story, almost a little bit tragic that she realises she has to give up her life as a human because she is Q, mm. it's, it, it's a little bit obvious when it does happen. What I'm a bit surprised at with that is we've obviously seen that the Q have got the power to strip Q of their powers so why couldn't they do that with Amanda? Or do they only see that as a punishment and they couldn't find justification for punishing her? Or it's a plot hole. Or it's a plot, <laughs> plot hole. hole. I don't know. <laughs> There's a couple of things that make sense about this episode. One, I guess that's a very good question. You know, why not say, well, I'll take your powers away? It's all of these three options. We take your powers away. You don't use your powers. Or you become a Q. And he never gives us the first option. And it's weird because you've got the whole setup at the beginning, which is the idea of her parents, because she was fostered. She knew she was or adopted, wasn't she? She was adopted as a baby because her parents died. And her parents were actually cues yeah. who decided they want to live together as mortals on Earth and be, be human. And of course, you find out that they use their powers once and then the cues basically murdered them. There's essentially something a bit more insidious about the whole thing with the cue in this episode, which is yeah. probably more in- interesting as well. You know, even though. Q is quite a trickster fun character and John DeLance is always great to see on screen. There's something inherently dangerous about them as well and very arrogant. So mm. it, it is an, an interesting point, uh, that idea that her parents are murdered by the Q and they obviously chose, but again, they chose not to use their powers as opposed to just giving those powers up. Why couldn't they give their powers up? Unless maybe you said it, it was a punishment. It's a punishment or a plot hole, one of the two. <laughs> Another thing as well I noticed really from this episode is that the tone of the queue started changing, particularly with the fact that you'd already mentioned that they'd murdered the two parents um, or executed the two parents. 
they start going into a lot more deeper things and a lot more uh, serious subjects. I mean, okay, you've still got Q, the clone prince of Star Trek, taking centre stage in all of them. But, you know, you've got the episodes that we're coming to in a mi- uh, shortly when we're talking about Death Wish and the Q and the Grey and mm. Q2, and you think, yeah, there is a more serious thing going on as well with these. And I think True Q is the start of that, mm. where you suddenly see that the Q are, you know, they they, they are more insidious than they've been led, they've been made out to be up until this point. And it makes you wonder, maybe they the writers decided they need to shake things up a bit because Q doesn't appear in season five. So you've had Deja Q, which is a very fun episode where yep. he gets to play human. Then you've had Cupid, which is very fun with the whole Robin Hood element. And I guess it's like, where do you go from that? You, There's only so much you can do with that kind of playfulness of, of Q. So this episode certainly does go down that darker theme with this. And then you've got Tapestry, as you said, all good things is basically humanity, being destroyed you've got the theme of suicide and a civil war there's certainly a sense of yeah you're right it's, it's getting a little bit darker I, I, it adds a little bit of more interesting depth to the queue i think it's only voyage i think that takes it to the extreme as they do with things like the borg and they show everything and you don't you, we never never needed i think any point to see the queue continuum and yet they have this whole thing in voyager where they go to the queue continuum to fight the civil war it doesn't which makes no sense at all Okay, Tapestry. Yeah, great episode. I mean, Ronald D. Moore, who wrote the episode, it was one of the best things he's ever written, and I think he's written some great episodes of uh, Next oh, yeah. Gen and DS9 and the movies. So, yeah, I think it's definitely up there with one of the best. We're, we're going to be looking further at Ron Moore's contributions to Star Trek in a, in a future episode. We are. But, um, yeah, this episode... As I said earlier on, it started off quite dark with potentially the death of Picard and then it became this whole other It's a Wonderful Life type story and you even see what Picard would have been like if it wasn't for getting stabbed through the heart by the Norsegan mm. and uh, playing Domjot. But yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it is one of Star Trek's best episodes, not just one of Q's best episodes, it's one of Star Trek's best episodes. Definitely. It adds some real interesting depth to not just Picard, but to that relationship between Picard and Q. And I think that's the one thing yeah. that runs for all these episodes, even the weaker ones like Hiding Q and Encounter at Farpoint. The best thing about Q is his relationship with Picard, which is why I'm so glad he's coming back in season two of Picard, because mm. Patrick Stewart and John Delancey play off each other so well. And they can play each other in that kind of fun, oh, Q, what are you doing now, kind of thing. But also in these slightly more serious moments when Q's a little bit playful, but he's also a little bit quieter in his delivery as well. Yeah. You know, his observations on where Picard went wrong in the, in this episode with his life, they're, 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 they're just as interesting as when he's causing havoc on the Enterprise as well. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. And you get in the chance as well to see Picard as the younger man, mm. the, the brash cadet, and he's obviously trying to fix what he considers a regret in his cadet and ensign yeah. life when he's trying to stop I've forgotten the other cadet's name where he's trying to stop him from sabotaging the dom yeah. table and he's trying to you know correct things with the two girls that he's seeing at the time yeah, that's quite fun. and um <laughs> actually we never saw the the more grown up version of his two friends at the course of the show 
kind of the Marta Batanides is the captain of a ship in Star Trek Picard. You don't actually see her, but they they do actually mention her by name. That'd be nice because because obviously I know things get changed. They kind of sort of get changed back, but I think they do. Obviously, the whole the idea is that Picard changes outlook, and then he, then he finds that he's just a, like a junior lieutenant in, in astrophysics, and he has that kind of blue uniform, and he's never progressed because he never took chance in life. So the idea then, when he realizes that she should, should have done more, he asks Q to put things back, but it never goes back to the beginning, does it? It goes back to the end of his changed history. So actually, his relationship with Marsha does actually change over the course of the episode. They do. Uh, they go from friends to actually sleeping together. And I think that actually now is part of that established history. And I think there's that relationship there, which would have been interesting to have seen developed. You know, I guess it's always maybe hinting because they could have it. I don't know. But uh, would it, I don't know if everyone would particularly care because I think everyone wants Crusher back, understandably. But it would be uh, interesting to sort of see if that had, uh, what kind of impact that had on the relationship as well. Yeah, I just looked it up as well. She was the commanding officer of a starship not named. Her first officer was uh, Alonzo Vandermeer, who is the person that you see the photograph of in Broken Pieces, where Picard and Captain Rios uh, talk about her, or talk about him. I think he was serving on that ship under under her. So that's... um... Bit of continuity there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she does come back in. She's obviously not seen, but they do mention her, which uh, I, I remember thinking that's a nice little touch. Definitely, yeah. That they've referred back to her. So, yeah. And of course, after Tapestry, you get the uh, brilliant old things, which is the uh, finale of Next Gen. Um, obviously, they knew they had a movie, so it's not one that doesn't, doesn't resolve the destruction or the end of the Enterprise D. That's, that's, that's a reserve for generations, but it's, it's a great full circle moment where we go back to the pilot episodes. And into the future, yeah. as humanity's trial continues, and they're actually they're found guilty, and Q sends Picard through different time periods to a to kind of sort of cause the destruction of humanity, but also to try and fix it at the same time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you get shots back to Encounter at Farpoint. Uh, you get Chief O'Brien turning up again. You get it, it's pretty much everything that you remember from the very first episode it is. back seven years ago. And you get the flip side of the coin as well, where you see him obviously suffering from the degenerative new, uh, neural condition, he, the rheumatic syndrome. Neuromodic syndrome, that's um, the one. And that, that, that's the one he has yeah. in Picard, yeah? It's not named, but yeah. You assume it, it is, be. yeah. Obviously, they refer back to Picard and Crusher's previous relationship, mm. which, again, we've never seen on screen. Yeah, that's a shame that they don't really... I mean, again, maybe that's one of the reasons people are clamouring for Crusher in Picard, because I, I think Crusher was very poorly served by the movies. She was just there to be the Doctor and a command officer. I don't think she really did anything else as far as I remember. I think it, it's it's nice you get that kind of moment in this episode when they do kiss that sets up their failed marriage in the future. And I think it'd be lovely to see kind of what, what the impact of that was. Now, I understand why Picard didn't throw in every character from the next gen, but I think probably after... Riker and by association Troy, I think Crusher's the other one that I I guess date we've covered data as well. So Crusher is the other one I think everyone wants to know what happened between her and Picard as well. Particularly when you get that chief medical officer from the Stargazer turning up in Picard and you kind of think, Why aren't you Crusher? (laughs) Why aren't you (laughs) Crusher talking to him about his neural condition? But there must be 
a plot reason which we haven't got to yet. Yeah, I'm sure I hope we'll get there with season two or season three. Hopefully, we'll get Crusher at some point. The other, the other good thing about Crusher as well, in all good things, sorry, I've got to say, is that it was great to see her in command of yes. the medical ship, the Pasteur. Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in that future stuff, you know. Data and his uh, many cats. You know, Red Spire actually hates cats. So the scene where he has all these different cats in his office in Cambridge is quite amusing. And um, his grey streak in the hair. Of course, when you get to 25 years later in the actual timeline, Data's dead. So it's quite, quite sad to see yeah. the future that he may have had. You've got Worf as the kind of governor. And of course, the, the conflict between him and Riker over Troy. What are your thoughts on the Troy Worf relationship? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it it didn't work for me. No, it it's like the Chakotay and Seven of Nine thing right at the end. It of is exactly it? like Just... that. But at least there were scenes with Troy and War, particularly around Alexander, that kind of made sense. They had a bit of a connection. Yeah, the Seven of Nine Chakotay is a whole other story. But yeah, I never thought it worked. There's no real chemistry there. I mean, I'm glad they eventually got Riker and, and Troy together. They ended up having two kids and lost ones. They went, everyone went over the ring, I think, between All Good Things and Picard. But yeah, it was weird. I, I never kind of got the whole point of that. Particularly, I, I assume they didn't know that Worf was maybe going to go after DS9. I don't know, because I don't think they ever mentioned Troy again in terms of Worf's character. I don't know if they do. I don't, I'm don't. i trying to remember if they ever refer to her in, um, in Deep I Space Nine. I do. And I... No, I, I'm not sure that they do neither. Because obviously um, Worf goes to DS9 and then eventually gets together and marries Jadzia Dax, and that's a great relationship. I think it's one of the best relationships in, in Star Trek. I, I, I thought it was weird, though. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but they talk about Troy's death 20 years ago, which would have been five years later. I'm sure it's about the time that Dax died. Oh. It's very kind of... Oh, I didn't realise the time and it's weird. On that one. I mean, it's four or five years, and it's like, oh, God, that's the same time as Jadzia's death. And it's like, that was a bit yeah. weird. Because I know that wasn't planned, but it just the way it kind of turned out, it's a... Bit, a bit freaky, but yeah. There's some yeah. great stuff in that future. I love the uh, suit up Enterprise D. It looks ridiculous, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> the three nasal Enterprise D with... Battle Enterprise yeah. D. It does make a lot of sense. Put an extra laser on put a big gun on it. It'd be my ship, and you get you know you can tell that Riker's just because he's an admiral, and yeah, I can do what I want. Stick a nasal on it, and off we go, kind of thing. But it's it, it's fun. And I like also the, the redo of the pilot episode. Performances by Denise Crosby and Marina Sirtis particularly were pretty awful at times in Encounter at Farpoint, and they're yeah. so much better. You've you've got this, particularly Marina Sirtis. You know she's she's trying to play that younger Deanna Troy, but it's just so much better. It's like it's like the alternate yeah, yeah, exactly. alternate part of the movie we should have ever had. It's a great full circle finale, and I think it's great that it comes back to Q. Cause it started with Q, so it should always kind of end with Q, and I think that's why it's good that he's back in season two as well. It's a pretty big decision, Jean-Luc. Tinkering with an anomaly you know nothing about, trying to collapse it, isn't that risky? Why, will that cause the destruction of mankind? Maybe. On the other hand, maybe leaving it alone would be the wrong thing to do. It's a pretty big decision, all right. Would it help to have a different perspective? Welcome home. Home? Don't you recognize your old stomping grounds? This is Earth, France, about, oh, three and a half billion years ago, give or take an eon or two. Something I remember when I was job hunting just before this episode came out, 
I remember someone saying to me, oh, have you heard what they're doing with the finale of Next Generation? And I went, no. And they said, oh, apparently Q is going to show up in the last episode. And it's it turns out that the whole seven-year run of Star Trek The Next Generation has been the trial. And Q has arranged everything that's happened over the seven seasons to see exactly <laughs> what the Enterprise and Picard is capable of. And I thought at the time... No, that can't be right. That can't be real. That can't be the way they're going to plan. It's one of those things that sounds really cool, but really, really contrived at the same time. I like the idea that humanity was always on trial, but Mm. the idea of Q kind of creating everything, you know, there's no free will there at all. I think that's... It was a bit quite dark, isn't it? The idea that's what happens. And Q is manipulating Star Trek. I think it's probably a little bit too extreme, maybe even for Q. I, th- I think if they had gone down that route, and I don't know how much truth was in that at all, but I still remember that conversation someone had with me, and I can't help think that would that have happened, how I would then have looked back on seven years of Next Generation thinking it was all manipulated by Q. Yeah, I don't think that so... would have worked. That's the next generation, and that's kind of what we're here to talk about. We've got we're still going to come up comments on Voyager then and their episodes, and then we'll kind of wrap yeah. up our thoughts on Q, shall we? Yeah, and obviously we've got a little bit about Lower Decks as well. Yeah, of course, absolutely. Which is which is a great episode. So it's a welcome return yeah. for Q, definitely. So the trouble I have with Q on Voyager generally is Q's presence makes no sense because Q could have sent Voyager back to the other coordinate, like he did the Enterprise any point mm. and there's never enough made of that i think at any point they yeah. there is a mention of it in death wish and he teases the idea mm. but unless q is full-on villain there's no reason for him not to send the voyager back to the alpha quadrant so i think his presence in Voyager generally is quite frustrating for that in that respect i, th- I think there's some good stuff with john delancey and kate Mulgrew as janeway I don't like the obvious, the cliche angle of which she's female, therefore I'm going to try and seduce her. I think that goes on yeah. in, the, in the show, but there's still some kind of good banter there. What are your thoughts on the Voyager episodes of Q? It goes back to what I was saying earlier on. They're quite dark, uh, some of them as well. I mean, the very first episode that you see is pretty much about assisted suicide. Mm, it's the best um, one of, of the, the Voyager did, yeah. Yes, I completely agree. And the moment... Well, Q actually suddenly seems to be an upstanding member of the uh, community as well, because obviously mm. he's the one that's trying to bring Quinn. I'll, I'll call him Quinn, because obviously yeah, that's the name he Queen, chooses yeah. for himself. Yeah, but he's obviously the one there trying to bring Quinn back into the community, and suddenly Q is the upstanding member of the community. And it's like, mm, that's not the way we've been used to you over the last seven or eight years so mm. what's brought this on and yet again it's the out of time thing how much time has passed since we last saw him with Picard for him it could have been centuries Q doesn't quite feel like the Q that we get in Next Generation no. and you know I do love some of the Voyager episodes I, I love when Voyager has big blockbuster episodes but season two of Voyager is, is not the best I think there's a lot of issues in season two mm. and I don't think the Q episodes are that well written. This is the best because I think the theme of assisted suicide is such an 
an emotive topic and i think it's done fairly well as well i, I think there's there's an interesting moral debate there which star trek can do quite well he does these kind of moral dramas quite well so it's one of the better ones but i think it's q's character is slightly out of place of how we see him in the latter episodes of next generation and i say i'm not particularly fond of his uh the obvious relationship of Janeway, therefore he's going to try and seduce her and then he's going to make her the godmother of his child. It all just feels like it's you know, it's very female stereotype there. It's a little bit kind of yeah. sexist almost, but I think obviously that, that's the way that's the way it was played. Mm. The second episode, I think, is is dire. I I, I agree. Maybe I agree. not as it's not as boring as the DS9 one, but it's the idea of the civil war and they um Susie Plaxton's back, and she's always great when she's in Star Trek and playing the yes. kind of female cue. She's the best thing of it. Her and John Delancey yeah, together are, are great, and that's fun. But the idea that they go into this American Civil War reenactment to the cue continuum, oh, I just, oh, it's just dire. And and it makes Voyager sort of hugely important. Voyager actually helps save the cue continuum from Civil War. Really? It should be so much bigger. It's like trying to do Time War and Doctor Who, you know. I like that the reason they, they avoid the time off for the most part in Doctor Who because it's so big and so abstract, you can't do it. So to have this kind of cheap American Civil War reenactment for Q Continuum, it's one that's probably very much best left forgotten. I know they try and get round it by saying that, oh yeah, the human crew, or, you know, mixed crew, but they're using our weapons. And you think, well... No, you no, really it doesn't trust? make any sense. No. It's cheap and fake, but... it takes the mystery out of the Q, and I think that's the, uh, the issue I have with that one. And I guess the last one is Q2. So you've got John Delancey's son, Keegan, playing the younger Q Jr., which is quite fun. It's, I think it's a little unnecessary, the episode. Again, I know it's season seven, but why doesn't Q send them home? I think this is the one issue throughout. Yeah. But there's, there's some fun moments, I guess, but it's ultimately a bit forgettable, and that's is a shame. You know, Q episodes shouldn't be forgettable. No, exactly. Yeah. Q2 I watched again this morning, and I did find myself chuckling along with a few of the moments yeah. and I, I was quite surprised at the friendship between Q Jr. and Icheb that yeah, emerged. I'd completely stuff, forgotten yeah. about that uh, friendship. But um I quite but... like Egypt actually in Voyager and obviously it's a poor of Egypt what happens to him in Picard as well. Yeah, there are some moments but it's ultimately one you're not gonna remember. Remember the Civil War for all the wrong reasons. You don't remember Q2 at all. So it's, I'm really glad that he came back in Veritas and he's going to be in Picard. I keep saying that because I think actually Q's involvement after all good things kind of fizzles out a little bit. And it's nice that he's come yeah. back in Veritas as well. I know he's only a minor character in the episode of Lower Decks, but the episode of Veritas is a lot of fun. And John Delancey is great. He's back in that kind of in the judge look on a, on a floating throne. Mm. And, and there were some kind of fun little moments with Q and the crew of the Veritas, I think. Yeah, on the chessboard. Yeah, with the, the cards versus ball. chess pieces. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and right, right at the end as well, when obviously they've had all of the the courtroom, sorry, party um, yes. spoilers, and you've just got them walking back through the, the corridors of the Cerritos, and Q just suddenly appears, and Mariner's just got no time no. for him. Go home, Q. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. I was just... Yeah, yeah. But, I want to see um, more Q in I, lower decks. Yeah, I made a comment on my uh, personal Twitter recently and thought, now we've seen Q in lower decks, I really would love just a line from Q about that coming up in Picard. And someone gave me the perfect line for him, which is, oh, 
John Luke, you're so boring. At least Beckett Mariner like still likes a game of chess or something. Yes. That would be great. <laughs> One, to annoy everyone that doesn't think Lower Decks is canon. And two, because it's Q and he's obviously meta. So That would be great, yeah. Great that he's going to come back. I know I'll keep like mm. a broken record, but it is really, really great. I think the one thing at all of this is that John Delancey makes every episode, doesn't he? There's, there's even yeah, the exactly. worst episodes are elevated by his presence as Q, and it's such a mm. great legacy in Star Trek that it's, uh, it's good that we're going to see that happen again. Yeah, there is one more Q story that I've indulged myself with over the past few days as well. Now, I know we've said that we're mainly going to be focusing on the TV shows, but I recently read The Q Gambit, which is the graphic novel uh, that Q appears in. Have you got any experience with this at all? No, I've read a couple of the Next Generation books, but I've never read any graphic novels now, so go for it. I'll be careful because there's obviously a lot of spoilers in it and I highly recommend you going out there looking for it as well. It was released as part of Eagle Moss's uh, graphic novel collection as well so we should be able to pick it up. It starts off and he meets Picard in sort of insurrection nemesis time period so it's um, that Picard era and it looks like sort of Picard's become a bit set in his ways and Q goes I think I think we'll shake things up a bit now I'm going to do something that's going to completely change history so Q then ends up talking to the crew of the original Enterprise but not William Shatner's Kirk but Chris Pine's Kirk oh, cool. so it becomes a Kelvinverse story and he then drags the crew of the Enterprise back forward in time to the time of Deep Space Nine, but it's not Deep Space Nine as we know it. It's the, the Deep Space Deep Nine characters, Kelvin Deep Space Nine. Wow! But in a timeline where the Enterprise disappeared, and the Alpha Quadrant pretty much falls apart. So half of the Alpha Quadrant, including Earth, is now controlled by the Klingon Empire, and the other half has been conquered by the Dominion. Oh, amazing! That sounds quite fun. So. So yeah, it's it's a really good story, and I won't spoil the ending because it's hilarious. But it does have a moment right at the end where Q shows up back in Picard's quarters. And Picard takes one look at him and goes, "I don't want to know." <laughs> <laughs> that is it all really. That and that's it. It's the it's the Picard Q relationship that makes it, isn't it? Yeah. Fab. So that, I think that comes to the end of our podcast. Um, that we've talked a lot yes. about Q and just how wonderful a character he is. We did reach out on social media to see if anyone had any thoughts on it. You got a couple of comments from people, Jeff? I do indeed, yes. We had two replies back, actually. We had one from Peter Trek1, and his comment was, My favourite Q episode is Tapestry. Completely agree. I like how Q taught Picard the lesson that part of what makes Picard successful is by being bold and taking chances. If he doesn't do that, he won't be successful and won't make a difference. Runner-up would be all good things. Yeah, that's my um, The other reply is, is quite brief. It's from at Erd Trabant Maria, with a lovely gif of Data laughing, uh, saying he made Data laugh and transferred the crew to Sherwood Forest. So, yeah, there we go. Those are the two Lots comments I had back. There. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that's the end of our podcast. I'll be back next month, slightly different next month. I'll be here with my wife, Gemma, to talk about mental health in Star Trek. So, Jeff, you get some time off before the next podcast. 
I get a day off. Nice. <laughs> Brilliant. So you can find us at Beyond Farpoint on Twitter and Facebook and Podchaser and Instagram. So we're all over there. Come and have a chat and let us know what your thoughts are on the podcast and Next Generation in general. I'm Baz Greenland. I'm Jeff Owen. And we'll see you again next time. Let's see what's out there. Engage. This show is brought to you by Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Sweet Media programs. Loading Sweet Preview Program 4, Blast Shield, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. I think we all thought Ransom was going to go into that fight scene, thinking that it was game over before it even started and he was going to lose. But I think the moment he rips his uniform off, <laughs> which is hard anyway to rip a shirt, but to rip an actual like jacket like that, mm. pretty impressive. And then he had like... About, I don't know, I think it was like 62 abs. He just looked ripped and then he was just like, you know, a little bit of this. Yeah. A little bit of that. I was just going to say, it was the way that he also narrated it. It was just perfect. It was great. Ransom definitely went to the school of Kirk Fu. Ransom Fu, maybe we should be calling it. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Voyages, a Star Trek original, animated, and Kelvin Films podcast. Full honesty, I did find that the scene was seemingly long when they were driving with him and and Scotty to get to the Enterprise when they were in their little capsule. I felt that that was a very long scene driving around the whole Enterprise. But find yourself someone in life that looks at you the way Kirk looked at the Enterprise. I mean, that was a beautiful moment. And I absolutely adored when Spock came back onto the Enterprise. Just how everybody on the bridge, like Yuhura and Chekhov and everybody, they just kind of rallied around him. And it was a really warming moment just to see that original core group of people just celebrate him and happy to see him. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.